We're going to be in Isaiah 53 this morning. Isaiah 53. My wife told me not to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Just wanted to give that that precursor. <clears throat> Family was visiting the grandparents' home, and uh, the young boy was sitting on the couch, and he saw a Bible on the coffee table. So he began flipping through the old family Bible that was there at his grandparents' house. As he's flipping through, a leaf fell out of the Bible. You know, the pressed leaves. People, I don't know if people still do that. Uh, we used to do. We used to have uh, four-leaf clover pressed uh, rose petals that you gave when you were dating, pressed. I don't know if that's still done or not. Nonetheless, there was a leaf that fell out of the Bible, and uh, he was sitting there looking at the leaf, and his dad came in, and he said, Son, what'd you find there? He said, Dad, I think this is Adam's underwear. <laughs> we are marching towards... Easter Sunday next week, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the most exciting event in a Christian's life. As we look back throughout history, there are so many great things we can look at. We can look at the parting of the Red Sea. We can look at uh, the earth that was flooded and Noah that was spared. We can look at Daniel and the lion's den. We can look at the birth of Christ. We can look at the miracles during Christ's life. But without the resurrection, none of it matters. And so I'm excited that next week we can celebrate the resurrection. But before Christ could rise from the dead, he first had to die. And today, that is what we're going to look at. I was looking at the different passages um, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and in John that cover the crucifixion of Christ and, and uh, was, was praying over different thoughts in those. And then ultimately, though, it led me back to the Old Testament in Isaiah 53, the, there is a prophetic passage here pointing to the death of Christ. And I want us to focus in on this passage uh, today to look at the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the events that happened with it. If you're looking in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see the details of Christ's crucifixion. We've looked at uh, the betrayal of Judas. We looked at the garden experience, the things that happened there. We looked at the trial last week of Jesus Christ as he was brought before a, a, a makeshift jury uh, that was going to uh, definitely condemn him no matter what. And now we get to this point, and, and there's so many things, and I don't want to, to miss it, I don't want to skip it, but I think this is the passage we're supposed to be in today. But if you'll look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read through the account there of the crucifixion, you're going to find so many details of the, the suffering and the anguish that went through uh, for Jesus before being nailed to the cross and dying for us. And you're going to see Pilate questioning, you know, I don't find any fault in this man. You're going to see the crowds chanting, crucify him. You're going to see all these things happening uh, that go on. You're going to see the crown of thorns placed on his head, the rod beating it. You're going to see the, uh, the, the beating that Christ took you're going to see the robe put on top of him after the beating and then ripped off. You're going to see his beard plucked out. You're going to see all of these things in those accounts. And I don't want us to forget any of those things, but today I want us to focus in on this prophetic chapter that was given to Israel 
uh, to prepare them for what was to come. If you'll look with me in Isaiah 53, starting in verse number 1, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning. What a humbling passage that we look at. The fact that you tell us in, in the New Testament, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. Lord, today we look at this Son that you sent, the one that was nailed to a cross for us. And God, as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, we must first humbly look at the death of Christ. And God, I pray that today you would strike our hearts, convict us. God, if we've yet to receive the gift that you've sent in your Son, I pray that today we would. God, I pray that those that are already saved, God, I pray that today would be a motivation, a reminder of how much you deeply loved us, how much you gave to us. God, we would go forward doing what you've told us to do in your word. God, I pray that as I present these verses, I would do it clearly and I would do it correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when we talk about the death of Christ, to me, it is one of the harder things to discuss, even though I know the end of the story, even though I know how wonderful it turned out to think of what all Christ went through and he did it all for me, knowing who I am, who I would be, and what I would become Christ still loved me. I love the verse. We talk about it a lot in Romans 5, 8. He commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Knowing what we are, Christ still was willing to die. Not just die, to suffer for me. You know, there's a lot of things. We see pictures and we see illustrations. Maybe you've seen movies. I don't know of the crucifixion of Christ. And boy, they can be brutal. But I don't think it truly encompasses the suffering that Christ went through for you and me. We don't understand it because we don't go through it anymore. Back then, it was relatively common for people to be beaten, for people to be hung on a cross as punishment, for people to go through this suffering that they went through. It was, they, they saw it. It was a somewhat regular occurrence. For us, we don't see that. If we see someone getting beat, that's bad. That's not good. That's not even punishment. That's just, that's bad. It's evil. You don't do that. But nonetheless, uh, we, that can minimize in our eyes exactly what Christ went through. And I'm telling you, it was brutal. 
Today I want us to see three things out of this passage um, that, that points us to the crucifixion of Christ. Number one, I want us to see the disrespect towards Christ in the gospel. The disrespect towards Christ in the gospel. And we see that in the first three verses of Isaiah 53. We see in verse 1, so many reject the gospel message. We heard a great message Sunday afternoon from missionary Jamie Overton on the gospel. And so many people uh, reject the message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came, that he died, and that he rose again. He did it all for you and for me. That's the, the simplest version of the gospel I can give you. And in verse 1 it says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Romans 10 verse 16 says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? He goes back here in, in, in Romans, referencing this verse right here, of the fact that there are many who have not obeyed the gospel, meaning they have not received the gospel, they have not accepted the gospel, they have rejected the gospel. And so many do that. You think back in Christ's time, as he was headed to the cross, the group of people there that were chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Those same people watched Jesus heal people. The blind that could not see, they watched Christ touch, and now he could see. Many of those people more than likely were in the crowd when they were hungry, and Christ took a sack lunch, and he broke it up, and he fed 5,000 plus people. Many of these people, and we know it because the New Testament tells us that uh, 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 Herod uh, was excited to meet Jesus because he had heard about all that he had done. Pilate, he was sitting here looking at Jesus thinking, I've heard all these great things that he's done. Why is he standing in front of me? Jesus was not a stranger to this group of people. They had seen him, they had watched him, they had heard him, and they had watched these miracles that took place. There's a, a, a story that we read about of the rich man and Lazarus. You'll hear about it in a couple weeks. But the rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus in hell looking up, he's saying, send the prophet back to my family. And, and surely if they see someone who is dead, now alive, they'll believe. They won't have to come and spend eternity in hell. And the rich man was told, you had Moses in the law, and you rejected. Surely your family will as well. You see, the fact is, is that we, miracles is not what brings salvation. Jesus is what brings salvation. And no matter what we show people, there will be many that will reject the gospel message. Have you ever told someone about Jesus and they turned you down? They said, let's not have this conversation. You ever knocked on a stranger's door? Uh, I, you know, hi, I'm Vince. This is, we don't do this a lot, but hi, I'm Vince. Uh, I'm from Bible Pathway Baptist Church. Uh, we're just out today inviting people to church and wondered if you had just a moment where I could show you from the Bible how you can know for certain that you're going to heaven. And most cases, you get either a response of, I already go to church, which is not what I asked, but, um, or, uh, or, or some kind rejection, and then other times it's a little less kind of a rejection. Get off my porch. You don't have to tell me twice. Um, I'm out. But there is a constant rejection of the gospel message. Some of you heard the gospel message all your life and rejected it for much of it. I have friends 
who were saved in their 20s or 30s or 40s. It wasn't the first time they heard the gospel. They had rejected it. And the Bible teaches us there is a great disrespect towards Christ and towards the gospel. And in verse 1 it says, Who hath believed our report? Many have rejected it. So many people rejected Christ's humility. Look at verse 2 and 3. It says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. This coming Christ that the, the, uh, the nation of Israel, the Jews, had been told about for years and years and years that he was coming. He was supposed to be the son of David, the king. Yet he was born of Mary. Just a lowly woman who was about to marry a carpenter. Son of David, boy, that's great. Well, son of Mary, eh, not so great. He was supposed to be the king of kings. Boy, that's great. A carpenter's son. That's not king of kings. Not so great. His own town rejected him. He came back and preached, and they said, get out of here. You're Joseph's son, the carpenter. You're not God. Rejected. Despised. What you would look at and go, an average person Christ was in the flesh, the Jews were expecting this extravagant entrance. With, with just, just before his crucifixion, as he came into the cities and they threw palms down in front of him, shouting, Hosanna, they were expecting him to sit on the throne. That's not what he was there for. He was there to seek and to save that which was lost. He was there to die. It wasn't time yet to sit on the throne. And because of that, he was rejected. He wasn't what they expected. Have you ever met someone and they weren't what you were expecting? Uh, they always say, don't meet your heroes because you'll be disappointed. Um, I like listening to the radio, listen to a lot of sports talk. And there are times where I will see a picture of the person who I've been listening to for years. And I'll be like, that is not what I thought they looked like. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is not at all what I was expecting. That happens. Our expectations aren't met. When our expectations aren't met, it changes the way we think. They were expecting Christ to be king of kings, to be the son of King David. And when he appeared before them as someone who was born into a, uh, a, a middle-class, lower-class family, a working man's family, in the same town that they grew up in, they said, this isn't what he's supposed to be. So he was despised. And he was rejected. It's a disrespect shown towards Christ and the gospel. Many will reject the message just as they rejected Christ himself and the humility in which he came to this earth on. Number two, I want us to see the suffering of Christ. And I believe this passage points it out as well as any passage in Scripture what Christ went through. We see, first of all, in verse number 9, he was innocent. He was not worthy of the suffering. It says, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence 
neither was any deceit in his mouth. Christ did nothing to deserve death. We looked at it last week when we looked at the trial and we looked at them coming up with false accusations against him and, and, uh, and even accusations that the, the, the people who were there to, to, to call him guilty from the get-go said, well, we can't use that one. That's not going to work. Hey, you guys aren't agreeing on your testimony. That's not going to work. And then finally they said, are you the son of God? And he said, I am. And they said, that'll do it. You're going to die. So we see that happening. Then we see him with Pilate. And Pilate's saying, as I've already said, he says, I find no fault in this man. Let's scourge him and release him. He said this twice, I believe, maybe three times. And the crowd said, no, we want him dead. Why? The, the religious leaders were saying, uh, and, the, and the Bible tells us we're not going to look at it, but you look at it in John, I think it says it in Luke too, but uh, you're going to find where the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they're, they're going around the mob and they're, they're riling them up. They're getting them ready. They're saying crucify them. They're getting the chants going. All those sorts of things. And as they're doing that, it's them uh, influencing people to do this. And they're saying, crucify them, crucify them. And Pilate says, we, ha we have to release someone. It's that, that's what we're supposed to do at this time of year. And they said, release Barabbas, who was a murderer. Crucify Jesus. Have you ever met a, a crowd that was angry and you ask them, what are you angry about? And they don't know. You ever had a friend who's huffing and puffing or a spouse who's angry and you say, why are you upset? And they go, I don't know, when they start thinking about it. Honestly, I don't. I know people who were friends for years and then something happened and they got upset at each other. They wouldn't talk to each other anymore. And years and years later, they can't remember what they were so upset about. This crowd had no reason to be chanting, crucify him. Christ was not guilty. He was innocent. He was not worthy of the suffering that he would endure, yet he still suffered. Verse number 7, we see that Jesus didn't try to stop the suffering. It says in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. The only question that Christ answered the only time he spoke was when he was asked, are you the Son of God? Every other accusation, every other question, he would not answer. Pilate got upset about this. He's saying, are you not going to answer me? But when he asked, are you the Son of God? Christ agreed, I am. You've said it. Not once did Christ try to stop the suffering. Think about this. We're in a day and age of superhero movies. So you can take whatever superhero you want to and think about the power that they enforce when they're in trouble and the different things that they do and their superhuman strength or whatever it may be. Okay, now think about Jesus, the God of the universe, the creator of the world. the all-powerful one. If you think for a moment that he couldn't have stopped it, you have no idea what you're talking about. But, as a sheep going to slaughter, as a lamb before shears 
is dumb, is silent. So he was silent. Taking the suffering, taking the beating. He's doing it for you and he's doing it for me. He didn't stop it because he loves me. He didn't stop it because he loves you. Verse number four and six, we see that. He was suffering for me. Look at these words that are used here in Isaiah 53. Verse four, surely he hath borne our griefs. Surely he hath uh, carried our sins. Verse five, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Now in Isaiah, this is being written to the Jews. But we know that as what the scripture teaches us, Christ died for me and you. And just as he bore the weight of these Jews that were reading this and being taught this in Isaiah, so too he bore my griefs and my sorrows and my transgressions and my iniquities. He suffered for me. Have you ever met someone who loved you so much that they would suffer for you? We have people that I'm sure would say, oh yeah, I'd take a bullet for you. But when you have the gun pointed, it's a little different. I'd like to think that for our spouse we would, for our children we would. And Jesus did it for me. I'm a scoundrel. You might look at my life and say, well, you're not as bad as this person or this person or this person. My sin makes me just as guilty as the next person. My pride makes me just as guilty and headed to hell as someone's murder. Christ knew every single sin I would commit, and he said, Vince, I'm doing this for you. It's amazing to think about that. The millions of people in this world and I promise you, Christ knew your name. Just as he knows my name. Christ suffered. He was disrespected. I saw this phrase, I believe it was Matthew Henry that said it. Having undertaken our debt, he underwent our penalty. He took what I deserved. And he put it on himself. Number three, and lastly this morning, I want us to see the peace offered by Christ's suffering. What I get, not, not just the salvation, but the peace that I get as a result that's offered because of Christ's suffering. Verse number five, it, it closes with the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. His suffering made the way for my peace. I don't know, I do, I've talked to most of you. I don't know all of you, though, so I don't know if you've been saved and when you were saved in life. I was very fortunate. As a young child, I grew up in a home where I heard the gospel constantly. I grew up in a church where I heard the gospel constantly. I grew up in a ministry where I heard the gospel constantly. I heard it all the time. At the age of four, I understood. I didn't know everything, okay, but I understood I was a sinner and that I deserved hell and that Jesus Christ died for me and paid the penalty for me, and that if I called upon him, I could be saved. Being raised the way I was raised, it, it spared me from a lot 
of what some other people have had to go through in their life. I've told you about my friend Scott who pastors in Indiana. He was saved in prison. I didn't have to go through that. I think I've told you this before too. Scott told me when I became his pastor, he said, he said you have a very boring testimony. I said, thank you. And uh, he said it negatively at the time. It didn't take long for him to realize my boring testimony being saved at the age of four spared me a lot of trials, a lot of problems that he had to go through, not learning the things that I learned at a young age until he was in prison. But you see, because of Christ's suffering, I can have peace. And no matter how old you were when you got saved, or how old you are now if you're not saved, if you get saved, Christ's suffering is offering you peace. Because he suffered, I can have peace. Because he paid the price for my sin debt, now I can live freely. That doesn't mean I can live however I want. It means now I have the freedom to live under the blessings that God offers me through, his, through obedience to him. Maybe you've met someone who said, well, if I'm saved, then I can do whatever I want because I'm going to go to heaven, right? God teaches us consistently in the scriptures that the way you live your life will have consequences, good or bad. Salvation is by Jesus and through Jesus alone. There's no other way to it. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. But that doesn't mean that we should not be obedient to what God has told us to do. As a matter of fact, because of what Christ did for me, that's all the reason to be obedient for what he's called me to do. His suffering provides me peace. Colossians 1.20 says, And having made peace through the blood of the cross, Christ's suffering brings me peace. Ephesians 2.14, For he is our peace. I've worked with people through the years that uh, had no relationship with God. Maybe they've been to church, but they've never been saved. They've never received the gift that God offered through His Son, Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation. And they go through these hardships and these trials, whether it be in their marriage, whether it be at work, whether it be physical, whether it be in family, whether it be with friends, whatever it is, they go through it and they have zero peace about it. They are constantly worried and concerned and stressed. And then I have friends who are saved and have a relationship with God and are following God and obeying God and they've gone through the deepest and darkest of trials. The loss of children. The loss of loved ones. Financial hardship whatever it may be. And I've watched them walk through with a peace. They were still sad, yes, but a peace. I'm telling you, I hope I never have to experience it. But to know that God can give such peace and such darkness of life, you can't have that unless you have God. You can't have it unless you've accepted Jesus. You don't get God's peace if you're not God's child. It's amazing. I'm telling you, 
teenager. He was 16 or 17. I think he was 17. He worked for me in the summertime. He went home, and a drive from his, his home down in Long Beach, California, headed to San Francisco with friends to go help them move and then watch a baseball game. Got in a car accident. He passed away. A couple months after that, I was with his dad. His dad was sharing with us the story of exactly what happened. It was just tragic. It was, there was, from what you could tell from a humanly perspective, there was just no reason for it. A car pulled out in front, and they had to swerve to miss it, and they ended up flipping. He talked about getting the phone call in the middle of the night. He said as soon as the phone rang, I knew, I knew what it was. He showed us a video that he recorded on his phone, and he walked the path of the car. There was a Taco Bell cup on the side of the road, and he said that was from their car. And he, had it, he went up there that day, and, was, and he filmed just the path of where the car went and what happened. He told us how everything went down. His funeral was live-streamed on the website, and I remember starting to watch it, and I turned it off. But his dad got up, and he said, I'm going to sing this song. It was Tyler's favorite. He said, if I can't make it through it, you'll understand. And as he sang, his wife walked up. She grabbed his hand, and she started singing with him. not even a week after their 17-year-old son had died. With his, their 17-year-old son in the casket right in front of them. I said, how in the world can someone do that? It's the peace of God. You know, why in the world would we go through this life with no peace? when it's offered to us because of the suffering of Jesus Christ. Even Christians. I've seen Christians with no peace. You say, well, were they saved? Yes. But they weren't walking with God. They weren't obeying God. I use the same illustration all the time. You're probably tired of it. If you're bad in the grocery store, you ain't getting a candy bar. And yet, still, we walk through life being bad in the grocery store and saying, God, where's my candy bar? It's not how it works. You don't receive the blessings when you're disobedient. You have to follow and walk in the way that God has told you to walk. And when you do, the result is a wonderful and perfect peace that passes all understanding. I've told you this before, but if you're going through a trial, and you have the peace of God, it is going to open so many opportunities for you to share with lost loved ones, lost, lost co-workers, lost neighbors about the great peace that you have. Because when they go through those trials, they don't have that peace. And they're sitting there and they're going, how are you handling this so well? well the answer is Jesus. Me and Katie met a missionary family in Tennessee at a missions conference and every time we posed for a picture um, this man uh, you know you know what you say say cheese he said you need to say Jesus he said Jesus will make you smile so they would go one 
two, three, and he'd say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus can give you a joy and a peace that only he can give you, and it's a result of his suffering. Christ wasn't smiling as he was getting beaten. He was in pain and he was in anguish, but he was bruised for my iniquities. And for yours. Many people will disrespect Jesus Christ in the gospel. They'll reject it. But Jesus Christ suffered. And he did it for you and he did it for me. And he now offers a peace that starts at salvation. The Bible teaches for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. We are guilty, we are, have all sinned, and because of that we fall short of God. We cannot attain God on our own. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning you say, I don't have that peace that you've talked about. Christ died for you. He sent his son for you. This morning you can accept the gift of salvation. And we have loving people who would love to show you from the Bible how you can do that. If you've already accepted that gift of salvation and you're not experiencing the peace that Christ offers, there's a reason for it. And you probably know what it is. Today, you need to take it to God. Say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for not obeying. Forgive me for not following. And commit yourself to follow to Jesus Christ. Receive that peace that is offered. If this morning you are saved, you are walking in obedience with God, you're receiving those blessings, that peace, would you take a moment just to thank God for it? to remember what Christ went through so that you could have that peace, to remember what Christ went through so you could have that salvation. Well, this morning, would you just take a moment and say, thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. God, for this wonderful gospel that you give us. And Lord, I pray that as we head towards the celebration of your resurrection that we not lose sight of what you had to go through to give us this peace, to give us this salvation. Lord, you were, you were beaten and you were bruised. You were wounded for me. God, I pray, I pray that we would not lose sight of that, that we would always remember it. God, I pray that you'd help us this morning. I pray that if there's anyone here today that has yet to receive your gift of salvation. I pray that today they would. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here today that is not walking obediently with you, God, that today you'd convict their hearts and they would ask for forgiveness, they would repent, they would turn to you and begin to follow you. God, I pray that we would all be grateful in remembering the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for each of us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to ask a couple of questions this morning. We're not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to call anybody out. I'm not going to make anybody do anything, okay? 
but I want to know how to pray for you this morning. Question number one. If you're here this morning, say, Pastor, without a shadow of a doubt, I know that if I were to die today, I know for certain that I would go to heaven, and I'm thankful for that. Would you just slip your hand up in the air, and then you can slip it right back down. Great. Second question is the exact opposite of that. If you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, I don't know that if I were to die that I would go to heaven. So don't embarrass me. Don't call me out. But if you would pray for me, I would surely appreciate it. Would you just slip your hand up in the air and then you can put it right back down. Thank you. Anybody else? Last question this morning. If you would say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved, but I haven't been walking obediently. I haven't been receiving the peace that I know I can have, but I know why. It's because I haven't been walking obediently. And this morning, God's told me uh, and pointed out to me an area in my life that I know I need to get right, and I'm committing to do that. Pastor, would you pray for me as I do that? Anybody like that this morning? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Pray for each of you. Anybody else? In just a moment, we're going to stand, and when we do, we're going to open what we call an invitation. The invitation is an opportunity for people just to take care of whatever God's spoken to them about today. You can do it right at your seat. You're welcome to come to the front and kneel. We have a comfortable area where you can kneel. You can come shake my hand and say, Pastor, would you pray with me? I'd be happy to do it. I'll turn off the microphone and everything. If you're here this morning and you say, I don't know that I'm going to heaven, but I'd sure like to know. When we start the invitation, would you just come to the front We'll get someone that will take you in the side room, uh, sit down and show you from the Bible how you can know for certain that you're going to heaven. I promise we're not going to make you do anything. It's got to be your choice. There will be no more pressure. But I, I do ask, would you do it before you leave today? And now is the time. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady show you. If you're a man, we'll have a man show you. Today, we want to rejoice with you and your coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, I pray that you'd help us in this invitation time to do what you've asked us to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one's looking. Would you just do business with God? Take care of the things that God wants you to do this morning. If you want help, if you want extra prayer, if you, if you want someone to pray with you, I'd be happy to do it. The invitation's open.
Lord, help us now as we take what you've taught us today, carry it through to tomorrow. Lord, that we would follow you as, as you see fit. And God, I pray that we would uh, truly remember how good you've been to us, how much you loved us. And that, God, that would motivate us to live the way we ought to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here this morning and for coming. We sure appreciate you being here. We have lunch, by the way. If you'd like to stay, we'd love to have you stay. We've got plenty of food, uh, Italian food today, so pastas and meatballs and uh, some great-looking desserts. But uh, you're welcome to stay and eat with us today. We'd sure love to have you. Um, if you have any questions, if you have anything that you want someone to pray with you about, just catch me after the service. We'd love to, love to help any way that we can as well. Uh, to our visitors, thank you all for being here. I hope our people have been kind. I hope that you'll come back. We've got many people out today, so I'd like you to meet the rest of our people as well. So I hope that you'll be back. We'll be back today at 1 o'clock uh, for the afternoon service, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and then next Sunday for Easter, same service times, 10 o'clock Sunday school, 1045 service. Um, hope that everybody can make it uh, to each of that. If you need anything, please let us know. Lord bless you. Let's go ahead and be dismissed.